0: Invite you to find Acts chapter 1. Our text today is going to be verse 12 through the end of the chapter. Last Sunday, we started into a new series of messages on the book of Acts, empowered by the Holy Spirit and what it means to live for God and to advance His kingdom. And we're focusing on how the Holy Spirit empowers believers and churches to live for the glory of God, to share the good news about Jesus and to advance the kingdom of God. Dr. Luke, a Gentile, wrote Acts uh, similar to the book of Luke, but in continuation of the message as a historian. And there are two major sections in Acts that provide some framework for the message that is communicated. Uh, The opening verse focuses on the mission of Jesus and how he suffered and died and uh, how he rose from the dead and how the Holy Spirit was promised, and then Jesus ascended back into heaven. And the first 12 chapters of Acts are about the ministry and the mission of Peter largely in Jerusalem and in Samaria. When we get to chapter 13 and then we go through chapter 28, it's predominantly about the ministry and the mission of Paul on his missionary journeys. And the focus on Acts uh, in Acts is on Jesus, the church the Holy Spirit, the Great Commission, and the Kingdom of God. Today we're going to think about what it means to be united in prayer and what it means to be together as the people of God, coming before the throne of God, and expecting God to work in our lives, in the world, and in what he's doing uh, for all of eternity. Now we know that the people of God united in prayer has set the stage for some of the greatest spiritual movements in history. For example, in 1857, America had a strong and prosperous economy, uh, but the interest in the things of God were waning. And there was a a layman by the name of Jeremiah Lamphere who was concerned and he called for prayer. The prayer meetings that he called for would take place on Wednesdays from noon to one at Fulton Street in New York City. They held their meeting on September the 23rd of 1857, and six people showed up. And the six people who showed up came late. But the meeting began to grow. And as perhaps the sovereignty of God would have it, uh, on October the 10th, the stock market crashed. People understood that they were in dire circumstances. And as a result of that, Soon, as many as 50,000 businessmen were meeting to pray at noon in New York City. By week 15, the meetings moved from weekly to daily. And by 1858, the prayer movement spread to every major city in America. The second great awakening swept our land. And estimates are that as many as 1 million people out of a population at that time of only about 30 million people came to faith in Jesus in less than two years. That's just one story, but it's one story among many. Story after story throughout history that demonstrates the power of united prayer. Now, there's a whole lot of praying going on in the book of Acts. There are the 120 gathered in the upper room, praying in one accord, waiting on Pentecost. The disciples prayed in wisdom to know who Judas' replacement would be. Peter and John were threatened by the Sanhedrin, and the people of God prayed, and the place was shaken. The church would pray over the first deacons who were appointed to serve the needs of the widows. Peter was imprisoned by Herod after the martyrdom of James, but the church prayed, and God delivered Peter. The prophets and the teachers fasted and prayed, and the Holy Spirit called Paul and Barnabas on mission. Paul and Silas prayed and God sent an earthquake resulting in the jailer getting saved and their being released these are not the only examples of prayer in the book of Acts but they are many and they show us the need and the call from God for us as the people of God to pray together so what I'm going to do is I want to read Acts chapter 1 in verse 12 through verse 14 and then we're going to come back to the rest of the chapter a little bit later in the message so I began reading Acts chapter 1 and verse 12. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Now verse 14. They all were continually united in prayer. They were constantly united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So they returned to Jerusalem in obedience to what Jesus had told them to do, to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Mount of Olives is located just outside of the ancient walls of the city of Jerusalem, and we're told here that it required a Sabbath day's journey. That just means basically it wasn't very far. So they went to the upper room. There's 120 people who are present. Uh, Some people think that it might have been an upper room in the temple. I think that is not likely. I think it's more likely to have been a private room somewhere in the city. And it's thought to be the same upper room where they had gathered for uh, the Passover and the first Lord's Supper. But there is a key verse that we just read that I want to go back to. And then I want to build on it uh, as we move forward in this message. And it's verse 14. And it's a very simple phrase, but it's a very important phrase. All these were continually united in prayer. They were constantly praying. And I think there's some lessons that we can learn here about prayer that we can apply to our lives today. And the first lesson is this. Followers of Jesus Pray. I know this is like prayer 101, but let's just go back to school for a moment and let's lay the foundation so that we can build the need here for prayer and especially united prayer. And the phrasing is that all these came together for prayer. Now, we know that prayer first begins individually. Time alone with God in prayer and in the Word of God are essential to your spiritual devotion and to growth. Uh, Prayer, by definition, is listening to and talking to God. So prayer can be audible, you can hear it, or it can be silent. A prayer can be private or it can be public. Prayer can be formal or it can be informal. And Christian prayer in its full New Testament meaning is prayer that is addressed to God as our Father, to Jesus Christ as our savior, as our mediator, and through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We are to pray in faith, in the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6 and verse 18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I love this quote from Samuel Chadwick. He said, The one concern of the devil is to keep saints from prayer. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion, he laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. God has given us prayer as the spiritual means of communion with him. That means that prayer is God's idea. It's not our idea, it's God's idea. And through prayer, God has given us this invitation to communicate with him, to commune with him. And God invites us into his presence. And he wants to align our hearts with him. So when the psalm speaks of uh, God giving us the desires of our hearts, what we are doing in prayer is we are aligning God's desires with our desires. And we're understanding, seeking to understand what his will is for us. So we want to get in line with God. We're not asking God to get in line with us. God's asking us to get in line with him and and in alignment with what he's doing in our lives and in the world. And God reveals his leading to us in our lives through prayer as he leads us by the word and the spirit. But something else that's very evident in the New Testament is that prayer was central in the earthly life and ministry of Jesus. It was a big part of his life on this earth. And the disciples saw that. They, They saw how he lived and the rhythms of his life and the importance of communion with the Father and the times when he would get away on the mountain and pray and the times when he would teach them something about prayer. He prayed as an example to those who were listening when he raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus prayed over children using their faith as an example of how we are to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus often withdrew from the crowds to seek time alone with the Father. And the disciples could have asked Jesus anything they wanted to ask him, and I suspect they probably did. I can't imagine all the questions that Jesus was continually bombarded with by these who were following him, but they especially asked him to teach them to pray, and when he was asked to teach them to pray, what did he give? He gave the Lord's Prayer. He gave the framework that we still have today as a guide for prayer, and Jesus prayed consistently in his life he prayed for peter's faith to remain strong when the devil was going to sift him like wheat and when his crucifixion drew near jesus prayed intensely in the garden of gethsemane and even as he hung on the cross even as jesus was bearing the weight of mankind's sin and the sorrow and the weight of the wrath of god on him jesus was praying for others and today, having ascended back into heaven, Jesus continually intercedes for us and advocates for us before the throne of God. It is God's will for you to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And if it is God's will for you to be conformed to the image of Jesus, and if Jesus was, in fact, a man of prayer in his life and ministry on this earth, then that says we, too, should be people of prayer. And in fact, your prayer life is a gauge as to whether or not you're being conformed to the image of Jesus. I would say that it is a marker for your spiritual growth. And if you're growing in your prayer life today, I want to encourage you, keep on, keep praying, keep wrestling, keep learning, keep believing, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and you'll find And God will open up that door for you. But I want to say to you, not by way of discouragement, but encouragement, that if you are not growing in your prayer life, or you need to get started, there's no better time than today. Today's a good day to renew your relationship with the Lord. You say, well, how do I do that? Simply by asking God to teach you how to pray just like the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, then we're asking God, God, help us. Father, help us learn to pray. And he'll do it, and it'll be the beginning. It'll be the spark of a a closer relationship with God. Psalm 116 in verse 1 says, I love the Lord, for he has heard my voice, and he's heard my pleas for mercy. Now, there's an acrostic that goes along very well with the book of Acts, and it's the simple acrostic, Acts for prayer and uh pastor danny's used it some recently i think with our bible fellowship teachers and leaders as it relates to developing a prayer culture in our small groups but it's very straightforward the a stands for adoration so we're thinking about praying and bringing our praise to god we're we're worshiping god through our communion with him the c is for confession confession of sin is agreeing with god about your sin it's calling it what it is asking god for forgiveness and then turning from it and repenting of it. The T is for thanksgiving. We should always come to God with grateful hearts. We should always be thanking him for what he's done and what he is doing in our lives for his grace that is super abundant. And then the S is for supplication as we're praying for others and for needs that we are presented with. And I would encourage you, if you're not organized in your prayer life, then that could be a good step as well to help you move in the right direction in your communion with God. And maybe it's you keep a s- simple journal or you keep a notebook or you keep some something that helps you keep your prayers in order and remember what you're praying for and to continue on in it. Because it is work. It, it requires us uh, being confronted with self and surrendering to the Lord. It requires a our, our, our growth in our faith. There's just so much to it that God wants to do in us individually. But that brings me to the second lesson, and that is that followers of Jesus pray Together. They pray together. Now, the word united is used here. Luke uses a specific Greek word to stress the united nature of their prayers. And the word is translated in the King James in one accord. Now, specifically, it's a musical term that means to strike the same notes together. Uh, So, we've all heard a a good choir. that is on tune and on key and, and on the beat and everything else. They're, they're singing together. They sound good. But we've also heard uh, sometimes when that goes sideways. And maybe there's a singer that gets going in the wrong direction and then other singers in the group follow with them pretty soon. Uh, it's not, a, not that beautiful of a sound. Or maybe there's musicians that are playing together and somebody didn't tell one of them what the key was or, or maybe forgot his music or something else and trouble follows. Now, when we pray united, we are praying together and we're to be on the same focus in agreement toward a common purpose. And there's something here I want to particularly emphasize that involves united prayer, but it's bigger than united prayer. And here's what I mean by that. Luke emphasizes in Acts that what the church did the early church did they did together that's very important because god's people are coming together to cry out to god in prayer but they're living their lives together they're serving together they're in community together just as they're in communion with god and a spirit of unity results when minds are in agreement toward a common purpose psalm 133 and verse 1 says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. I love this piece by Connie Lee who wrote The Power of Praying Together in a guidepost, a short uh, devotional piece that she wrote. And here's what she says in, in telling her story. She said, when I was five years old, my family spent a vacation at the seashore. One evening we saw a spectacular sunset. The shimmering colors enthralled me. But the greatest joy was that everyone else was just as excited as I was. My sister and I kept jumping up from our beach chairs to point out new colors to our mother who oohed and awed appreciatively. Our grandparents, drawing on their vast store of memories, pronounced it one of the finest sunsets that they had ever seen. And even our busy dad had a peaceful look on his face. She says, the sharing of the experience meant more to me than the experience itself. And in the same way, when we share the light of prayer, we not only feel closer to God, but we feel closer to one another. The Christian life is intended to be lived out in community and not in isolation. God's designed us that way. And there's so many references in the scripture about doing things together in the church, serving together, singing together, learning together suffering together, praying together, and on and on we could go. And I want to make a point here that I think is so important. In the last several years, not only has the radical individualism of our culture continued to be on the rise, but with what we went through, with the isolation that we experienced, and all that happened in the last uh, three uh, years or so, uh, we've been driven more apart in a lot of ways as a culture than we have together and let me tell you that has effects on the church as well and I want to say here that I am very grateful for technology I'm thankful for times maybe when you're sick and you're able to tune in and join us live and watch the service and hear the message I'm thankful for the opportunity for a number of our older folks who are very faithful and diligent. They're with us every single week, and they're, they're online with us. They're gathering with us for worship, and they're doing that because they have physical limitations. They're doing that because they have health uh, issues. They have concerns that they can't get out because of that. There are other reasons for people who are taking care of loved ones who are ill. I mean, there's a whole array of reasons why people might join us online rather than gathering with us together. But I want to say something very directly, especially those who are gathering with us online. If, if you are not in one of those categories, if you are not limited by mobility or health or some other reason that you're doing and taking care of in your life, if you're not limited in those ways where you can't be here, you ought to be in church. It's the bottom line because you cannot experience the Christian life in the same way out there in the ethernet somewhere as you can with the gathered body of Christ. And we want to continue to encourage that even as we're thankful for the opportunities we have to creatively uh, watch and participate in different ways. So we're supposed to be living this life together. And uh, congregational prayer in small groups and large gatherings is a part of that. Uh, God's ordained the congregational prayer of the church Uh, and it's interesting that the way God has designed this he's designed it so that his mighty power would work exponentially when his people pray and his kingdom purposes are advanced. Prayer together is an act of worship. Prayer together is an expression of faith. We're relying on God to do what only God can do. Praying together brings a focus on the kingdom of God. It pushes us out of that that selfish zone to see that there's a a world and a kingdom that God is working in. Praying together is an exercise in encouragement. We encourage each other, but the Holy Spirit encourages us. The Holy Spirit comforts us. And praying together builds relationships in the church. Did you know that if you don't like somebody, you can't pray with them together for very long? Or at least it's very difficult. Um, And we should be, thinking about relationships being reconciled and being spiritually focused together. And if, if they're not, then certainly that's an issue. Charles Spurgeon said the condition of the church may be very well gauged by its prayer meetings. The prayer meeting judges the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he not, be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be a slothfulness in prayer. So unity in the church is a big deal and God is pleased to build that unity through prayer. Eleven strong-willed disciples, strong-willed men who argued over who would get the best seat in the kingdom and who refused at times to do simple things that they were supposed to be doing. And a room full of women gathered together in this narrative to pray. You know what they were doing? They were all looking to Jesus at the same time. For the same thing. As you know, the key to our unity will be that we are all looking to Jesus at the same time for the same thing, that we're drawing to him, we're humbling, drawing close to him, we're humbling ourselves, and we're depending on him in faith to work among us. But then there's a third lesson here, and it's the last one I'm going to share. Followers of Jesus pray together constantly. Your translation might also say continually or constantly, depending. Uh, But I've chosen the word constantly here because I think it's a, a good translation as we think about the ongoing nature of prayer. And it's interesting that the last verse in Luke adds that they were continually at the temple praising God. Luke chapter 24 and verse 53. So the idea is that they were obstinately determined to pray. And they were serious about praying. Nothing could stop them. The Greek scholar A.T. Robertson said that they stuck to praying. That this is something that they really cared about. So the text literally reads, "were continually devoting themselves to the prayer. They were continually devoting themselves to the prayer. So there's got to be commitment. And if you want to set your sail to the full breeze of the Holy Spirit, you've got to persevere in prayer. You've got to be diligent about it. And Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17 says, Pray without ceasing or pray constantly. Now I want to pick back up reading in Acts chapter 1 and verse 15. We're going to read through the end of the chapter as we come toward a close of the message. It says in those days Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters the number of people who were there together was about 120 and said Brothers and sisters it was necessary that the scripture be fulfilled that the holy spirit through the mouth of david foretold about judas who has become a guide to those who arrested jesus for he was one of our number and shared in this ministry now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages he he fell head first, his body burst open, his intestines spilled out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that in their own language, that field is called Hakodama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and let someone else take his position. Therefore, from among the men who have accompanied us during the whole time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. From among these, it is necessary that one become a witness with us to his resurrection. So, verse 23, they proposed to Joseph called Bar-Sab- Barabbas, uh, Barsabbas, rather, who was also known as Justice and Matthias. And then they prayed, you, Lord, know everyone's hearts. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry that Judas left To go where he belongs. In verse 26. Then they cast lots for them. And the lot fell to Matthias. And he was added to the 11 apostles. Now there's an interesting reference. In uh, the verses here. In verse 14 in particular. That we already read. To marry the mother of Jesus. And the women. Who are spoken of. And I think it's an interesting reference. For this simple reason. There was equal participation in the prayer from the women. They were all together praying. And that was how God had designed it. These women had gone up to Jerusalem from Galilee initially with Jesus and his followers, particularly Mary, the mother of Jesus. And it's interesting to note that the latest time in which Mary figures in New Testament history We find her joining in worship with the disciples of Jesus after his ascension. With the women, the brothers of Jesus are also mentioned. And verse 14 is also considered the first of the summaries in Acts. So there are these marker points as we go through Acts that are considered to be summaries where the story is being retold. The basics are being recounted. We're being reminded of kind of where we came from and and how we got here to this point. And Luke gives these generalized reviews of activities within the Christian community. And the primary characteristic that marked their lives together during that time was prayer. And they're anticipating the promise of the Holy Spirit. They're awaiting the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And they're doing what Jesus told them to do. And the time before Pentecost was a time for waiting and praying. And let me just say here, one of the most difficult things to do when we pray is to wait. I I mean, I like instant answers personally. I mean, I like it to be fast. I I like an immediate response. But many times God makes us wait, not because he's not going to do what we've prayed for or because it's impossible in some way, but rather he's building our faith. He's strengthening us. We're growing because we're trusting in him. We're continuing before his throne more and more. And Luke highlights the unity of the disciples and the women. And the context suggests that their focused prayers were on what they had seen and heard in recent days. And as they awaited the fulfillment of Jesus' prediction. And Peter stood in that moment in the midst of the disciples. Now I won't go through this whole narrative. You remember the basics of the story right about Judas who betrayed Jesus, and uh, who suffered greatly uh, by his own doing uh, in the end. And this gives us some background story on that. But basically, they're replacing him. That's the point. That's what's happening. And Peter notes that Judas did not spoil God's plan. Rather, it was fulfilled, even in the reference to the psalm. The horrific end of Judas is described. And Peter tells them that they got to officially replace the man. And the main job of the replacement was that he would be a witness to what they had seen. He would be a witness to the resurrection of what had taken place. And the apostles had been criticized at times for drawing lots to discover the replacement for Judas. But that was not unusual because it was a method that they used to determine the will of God in Israel. And even in doing so, they cast themselves completely on God for the outcome. And so the lot fell to Matthias. Now, there's another point here I want to make, except for Peter and John, except for Peter and John, none of the original 12 are mentioned again after Acts 1. Now, why does that matter? I going to tell you why it matters. It's not about us. It wasn't about them. We're not the hero of the story. We're not the center of it all. Jesus is. And we get to be a part of it, and certainly God's going to remember our names in heaven. Certainly God's going to bless us for our faithfulness. Certainly he's going to honor our humility and our response to his grace. But ultimately the story is not about us. The story is about what God has done for us and how God should get the glory for that. And we are privileged to serve him in his kingdom. And friends, I'm very thankful to say that God is at work in the world today. Even as much chaos as there is, even as many problems as there are, God is at work. Christianity is growing around the globe. There are people coming to faith in Christ continually around the world. And there are certain places in the world, like sub-Saharan Africa, where the church is growing at a very rapid pace. Did you know that this year alone, more than 93 million Bibles will be printed in the world? It's estimated that by 2025, there will be more than a hundred million Bibles being printed every single year. God is at work, and we should be encouraged and hopeful because God will bring about the desired end for his church and for the kingdom, and we'll get to be, get to be a part of that and be blessed in it. So in summary, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, um, then you're part of the kingdom of God, and you ought to be part of the local church, And that's far greater than any of us individually. And I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. And then I'm going to lead us to a specific response as we go to the end of the service. Hebrews 4 and verse 16 says, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help at the proper time. The invitation today is threefold. Number one. If you are not in Christ, we're inviting you to believe in him, to trust in him by faith and be saved. You say, Pastor, I am not a Christian. I know that I am not a follower of Jesus, but I want to be. Today, that could change. And if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, believing in his death, burial, and resurrection, you'll be saved. It's a promise. So somebody here today may need to meet Christ, and that's number one on the whole focus. Second part of the focus is to really think about your prayer life, like you before the Lord, and then also to think about our collective prayer life before the Lord, but are we being faithful? And if we're not, ask the Lord to help us, ask the Lord to renew us in our relationship with him. And then the last part is this. If you are physically able today, I'm going to invite you to come to the front here. We're going to gather along the steps and by the instruments, however far we need to, down the aisles if we need to. And we're going to lift up our prayers individually before the Lord, whatever might be on your heart or mind, something specific. And then I'm going to lead us collectively in prayer. Now, some of you are not physically able at this time to come forward. Your prayers will be heard just the same as if you did. If there's some reason why you, you can't come and or, or need to be where you are, you stay where you are and you pray. And we encourage you in that. But if you're able, we're going to invite you to give, and give you this opportunity to come for us to pray collectively as the people of God. Because we have nothing more important that we could do here today than to commune with God. And it's one of the things we want to emphasize at, at, as a church. And I, I want you to hear my heart on this. I don't want a church that just goes through the motions and people just kind of go through the routine because that's the routine that they know. We want to be a place where we sense the presence of God when we come together, that we depend on the power of God together, and that we're expecting great things in the future because of what God is doing. And I believe if we'll approach with that simple type of humble faith and we're not putting any conditions on God, we're just saying, God, would, would you work in our midst? Could, could we see your power in our midst? That's a prayer that God will answer. So I want to pray with us, then we're going to stand together. I'm going to invite you to come forward if you'd like to do that as Pastor Eric plays for a few moments and you pray, and then we're going to conclude and be dismissed. Father, we thank you for this privilege we have to be a part of your family. We thank you that it is all of grace. It's all because of the finished work of Jesus that we have confidence and boldness to come before the throne. Father, help us to be more faithful in prayer, to be more diligent in our united congregational prayers, and help us to be a people who look to Jesus at the same time for the same thing and as a result of it be drawn closer together. And now, Lord, as we humble ourselves before you and pray collectively, I know there are a lot of needs There are people here that are dealing with spiritual struggles individually. They're dealing with family issues. They're dealing with financial needs, loss of loved ones, health issues. There's so many things, Lord, that can crowd our minds and our hearts. May we lay those at your feet as we pray together. And may we pray for a spiritual stirring and renewal among God's people that will be evident. And there will be people who would see that there's something different because the power of God is at work in our midst. And we pray it in Jesus' name. I want to invite you to stand with us, if you will, for uh, a few moments. And if you're going to pray and stay in your seat, that's fine as well. You can remain seated if you like. Otherwise, we want to invite you to come and pray. Now's the time. Now's the time to come on and pray. And we're going to gather here in the front. You pray for a few moments, and then I'm going to lead us and bring our service toward a close. So Father, we've come to humble ourselves before you. There are a number of different prayers being prayed and as people continue to pray and lift those needs up to you. We thank you most of all for the blood of Jesus that gives us uh, open access and how we're invited into your presence to pray, to come before the throne. We thank you for that grace and mercy that comes to us at just the right time. And I pray that we would be a a people, a, a body of believers who fear you, who revere you in all things, because you are holy, you are eternal, you are all-powerful. God, you are the sovereign God over all of eternity, and we want to be faithful in your sight. So, Lord, forgive us where we have failed you. Thank you for blessing us in spite of ourselves many times, and we pray for these many needs that, that are represented. And God, collectively, we come before you today. Uh, asking you to help us not be trapped in the routine and just going through the motions, help us to be uh, not a lukewarm people but a people who are who are uh, committed and, and hot hearted in our lives, passionate uh, with fervor about the things that you 've called us to and Lord, we want to see you at work uh, lord there's there 's so many churches where we' They're, they're declining and dying and closing doors and, and people aren't coming. And God, there is life here. And we know that's from your good hand. So we pray that you would take the life that is here and, and grow it, Lord, that we would be more like Jesus, uh, that lost people would, would get saved as a result of the ministries of this church and saved people would be encouraged and their families built up and their, their lives and, and their vocations strengthened because of their following after Christ. And God, would you make us a people of prayer? Jesus said that your house is to be called a house of prayer. And we want to be a house of prayer. We want it to be evident that the Spirit is at work here, that um, that your power is in our midst, and that we're not doing it in our own strength. So Lord, help us, and may this t- today even be a point of, of fresh surrender for us uh, together, and that this will continue to grow in our church family in the months and the years to come. Uh, so bless us, Lord. Uh, Honor and glorify yourself in our lives as we seek to exalt Jesus and all that he is. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.